it's really wonderful. So like, I kind of compare it to like unplugging from the matrix, but like when they woke up from the matrix, it was like this ugly, gross world, but it's like the opposite with so variety, right? Like you unplug from this matrix world of drinking and like, oh my God, there's color and there's joy and there's feelings and there's self-discovery and creativity. I actually, what I think that I'm really, um, what I'm learning through sobriety is, is mostly like what, I mean, who I am. Welcome to the tribe. This is your weekly podcast from tribe sober, whether you're already sober, striving to be sober, or just plain sober curious, you need a tribe. You need a tribe because it's so hard to do this alone. You need a tribe because you need support. And that's where we come in here at tribe sober. We've got your back. Here at Tribe Sober, we have people at all stages of the journey, all helping each other to stay on track. On this podcast, we've got recovery stories to inspire you, experts to inform you, and plenty of advice on how to ditch the drink and change your life. So here's your host, Tribe Leader, Janet Gorond. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Tribe Sober podcast, episode 82. My name is Janet Goron. I'm the founder of Tribe Sober and I'm your host for this podcast. Here at Tribe Sober, we help people to change their relationship with alcohol and then to go on and actually thrive in their alcohol-free lives. And over the last six years, we've helped hundreds of people to do just that. We created Tribe Sober because we believe it's really hard to change your drinking habits alone. So at Tribe Sober, we're all about community. And each week we feature a community voice just to give you a flavor of the awesomeness of our tribe. The great thing with this sober thing, sober spring, that, that thing, it's actually brought it to the fore for me to actually say, yeah. you're, there is a problem. Yeah. And now that I've admitted it, I, and I know it's going to take me time and I'm going to work on it, but I know that, okay, yes, I do have a problem and I, yeah. need, to, I need to deal with it. Um, yeah. And I'm not getting younger and, you know, all those things that come into play. But for me, it's helped me a lot because I'm actually honest now to myself. So if you want to join our warm and welcoming community, just go to tribesober.com and hit join our tribe. Quite a few people in our tribe found their way to us after hearing me chat to the fabulous William Porter on his Friday night live spot. And in fact, I met this week's podcast guest when I was hanging out on William Porter's Facebook group. Stacy is an American living in France. Now, the French have a reputation for being moderate drinkers, but that's a bit of a myth that Stacy busted for us. In fact, they come in at number 11 on a global league table for heavy drinking, with the UK and South Africa coming in way below. Who knew? Stacy has been collaborating with William Porter and she's helping him to promote the French version of Alcohol Explained and she's also been helping him to create his online course which I believe is now available. Her next project will be to help me put our workshops online so watch this space. So let's get into my conversation with Stacy. I began by asking her to introduce herself. So, yeah, so I'm an American. I'm living in France in a town called Saint-Étienne. 
everyone assumes that I came here for love, but I actually came here for work. I have a bachelor's degree in French and didn't really know what to do after I finished school. So I joined a program uh, called the TAPIF program, which is the Teaching Assistantship Program in France. Yeah, I came here on a one-year work contract um, and I met someone uh, almost right away. And that was 10 years ago. I am currently unemployed and single, but still in France. So let's uh, let's go back a bit, shall we? Uh, yeah. When did you start drinking? So the first time I got drunk, which was 14, I found the family's bottle of vodka and was serving myself giant glasses of vodka. I was dating someone at the time whose, um, whose brother brewed his own beer. And so he would drink regularly with his brother, his older brother. And so I wanted to see what it was like to get drunk. And my parents kept the alcohol in in a cabinet just open. But I have so my sister is younger and so she wasn't drinking. I didn't drink, so they didn't think to to hide it. So my mom was out of town and my dad was babysitting the best that dads can. Uh yeah, so I just went in the cabinet and uh and helped myself to some vodka and grapefruit juice and I got absolutely completely obliterated because obviously I didn't know what I was doing and yeah it was my first uh, first experience with alcohol uh, so and did you black out so yeah yep mm-hmm. so I mean 14 still like quite young so I was 14 my sister must have been 11 and a half or 12 um so we were at home both of us and she wound up taking care of me I don't really have a lot of memories about it. She told me the next day she had put me in the bathtub to try to sober me up, like in the bath, like drew me a bath. I I kept insisting on calling my boyfriend um, and my sister sent him like kind of like this like scathing email the next day. Like, how dare you? You're this terrible influence on my sister. She doesn't drink. She doesn't use drugs. And look what state she was in. And he thought it was hilarious. Yeah. So, I mean, and then the next day, I don't remember really having a hangover either. It was kind of just this like isolated, this really this one isolated incident where I just like blacked out. Okay. Well, it was so it was like teenage experimentation really, wasn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah. And, and what happened uh, in the, the following years? When when did you start drinking regularly? So, I would say there's probably this kind of um, this downtime between the age of 14 and the age of 18, 19 with alcohol, other than a few isolated incidents in high school. I think here it's important to to mention, again, like in the US, it's so different than everywhere else in the world, right? Like the drinking age is 21 and is like very, very strictly enforced. So it was really hard to come across alcohol when when you're, you know, when I was growing up. How old were you when you started drinking regularly? So that would be at college. When I went away to college, um, okay. my sophomore year, I started going to parties. At 19, 20 years old, um, I was going to frat parties and apartment parties. And we just drink, I mean, dozens of of beers. And I, so that's really when the drinking started. But when I think back on it, alcohol after the age of 21 is like the most easily available drug. So I feel like it's kind of natural that I slipped into that quite easily because um, you just go to the the corner shop versus when I was a teenager and everything was hard to get, like equally difficult. So 
it was kind of just uh, whatever you could find. So what was really an interesting experience for me, though, was um, studying abroad. While I was in college, I spent a semester in France as part of my as part of my French diploma. Um, and I was 20 while in the States I was going to parties you know, but you had to find a party. You had to know somebody who knew somebody to be able to get in easily. In France at 20 years old, everyone's drinking. So um, I spent my six months here drinking pretty much. I don't think, I mean, I I pretty much failed out of that semester. Um, if you look at my grades, I, I think I had one or two Fs, a D, um, but I never went to class because I all I was doing here was drinking. Were you on the red wine? Um, red wine, yes. White wine, yeah. I mean, anything. Really anything. Um, okay. I liked uh, not champagne, but like sparkling sparkling wine. I really liked right. that. Yeah. Right. But pretty much it was a, a, a quantity over quality question. So whatever sure. was sure. cheapest, really. You were off to the buzz. Always. You're listening to a podcast from Tribe Sober. If you'd like to join our warm and welcoming community, just head on over to tribesober.com and hit the membership tab. That's www.tribesober.com. And did it worry you at all or was it just, you know, what all your friends were doing and it was completely normalized? That's a really good question. I would say it was 100% normalized. And even though I would say I was maybe on the heavier partier drinker side of the spectrum it was still within this spectrum yeah. like i wasn't the worst person that i knew certainly wasn't the best but i wasn't the worst and i think that everyone really in in a certain sense expects it to be that way until you graduate until you graduate right. and maybe have a year or two of professional life under your belt that's when i really saw not necessarily my drinking, but that's when I saw a lot of my friends concerned about, for example, uh, a, a very good friend of mine, her ex-fiance. He was always really bad when we were at school, um, but it wasn't until we graduated. You're not in the frat anymore. You're not in like the college town. You've got a full-time job, but you're still drinking 20 beers a day That sh- that she was like, I think he's got a problem. So that's when I think the problem, the problem drinking, like that's when, not that it shows up, but that people start realizing. Yeah, because I guess at that point, you're supposed to be verging on that grown up by then. And you're just supposed to kind of stop all that drinking nonsense. But by then, uh, you could very well be dependent, you know, a little bit dependent anyway. And it's not quite so easy. And it's only when we try to stop, isn't it, that we think, oh, (laughs) I really need this stuff. (laughs) Well, I feel like there was like, it kind of got phased in. And then for a lot of people, it got phased out. Um, like, okay, college, you'd go out for Wasted Wednesday, Thirsty Thursday, then Friday, Saturday. Yeah, we have great names for all the days of the week. So then, so then you move back from college, you're living with your parents, starting to pay back your debt, you get a job. So of course, the Monday, Monday through Thursday drinking kind of slows down. Then, then you're quote unquote, the weekend warrior. So then you're drinking all weekend. But then it starts to hit you that, oh, maybe Monday's a little bit harder than it should be. And, oh, you got your own apartment finally after a year or two. So, well, 
you have to do your chores on the weekends and go grocery shop, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, and that starts getting harder. So you kind of start going out less and less. And I saw this with a lot of my friends that they, they shifted into this grown up existence yeah. that I personally didn't, ex- didn't experience. Um, and that the people who didn't transition into that is when, yeah, is when when the dependency on the alcohol really starts to show through. Yeah, yeah, it becomes yeah. apparent. So mm-hmm. did you try to cut down? Did you start making all these rules that we have like, oh, I won't drink, you know, on a Thursday, but I'll <laughs> I'll drink two two glasses of wine when I go out and, oh, yeah, and I'll, I won't have alcohol at home. Did you make all those rules? Um, yes, but much, much later. Like I finished school. I lived home for a year. Um, I was working as a medical secretary. And this is when I decided like, oh my gosh, I'm $50,000 in debt. I have a French degree and I'm working for a doctor. What like, what am I doing? So this is when I decided like, I have to make a decision eventually, but let me go to France. Let me practice the language. It was a great opportunity to, to come here. So that year that I was living with my parents, I was going out on the weekends, but I was working two jobs. And so that kind of kept everything in check as well. And then when I came to France, um, full-time teaching positions here are 18 hours a week. That's a full-time teaching position. <laughs> okay. I was working part-time. <laughs> so I was living in the countryside with a family. My opportunity during the week to go out was non-existent. And I was also half like fille au pair. So um, I was taking care of the kids during the week, but on the weekends, I was coming into the big city to see my boyfriend and we'd go out. So there was this like freedom that I had here. And then when I moved in with him and was living in the city and still only working part time, I started drinking more and more. And the negotiations with myself didn't come until after a couple of years after I had some really eye-opening experiences that really scared me. Um, And, you know, when you start Googling, do I have a drinking problem? You do. (laughs) Yeah. So that's kind of when, and I, you know, my, my now ex, he's quite heavy drinker. And so we never kept alcohol at home because we knew that we would drink it. And that was kind of like our little joke, like, well, we don't drink at home unless we had guests over, but we don't drink at home. Um, We don't keep it and even keep it in the house. So, yeah. So it was when I started regularly Googling, like in the hungover state on my sofa, like Googling, do I have a drinking problem? And by any metric, I op- absolutely did. Like I didn't need Google to tell me that. So I, and I had this one experience that also by anybody's metric, clearly I had an issue. Um, I started, so I was working two part-time jobs and um, going to school full-time. And I pretty much gave myself just so much anxiety. I had a meltdown and I needed to to go on antidepressants because I was really, I was just falling apart at the seams. The medication I was on, well, it's hard to say if you're still drinking and on antidepressants, it's, it's impossible to say if if they're helping. So that's one thing that I can certainly say for sure is that the only way to know if they're working is to not be using drugs, cool. yeah, any drugs, like drugs and alcohol. But I think it all needs to be in the same category, right? It's drug. So it is, yeah. Yeah. So it's so strange that, you know, drugs and alcohol. No, just like no <laughs> drugs on your yeah. medication. So I was having this very strange side effect 
if I can call it that, um, which was that when I would have a drink, I literally couldn't stop myself. And I would drink nonstop to, to the point of like black, like blacking out. Um, whereas before, you know, having one drink, two drinks, you're always kind of negotiating with yourself, but you can make yourself go home. I couldn't, I really couldn't, um, to the point where I showed up at one of my jobs, a a waitressing job on the weekends, I showed up completely blacked out drunk. Like I still went to work, but I'd been drinking vodka all day. Yeah. You were on the automatic pilot, really. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah that I got fired. I dropped a bunch of stuff and I got fired on the spot. And it was yeah. the second time. Yeah. The first time they, at the end of the night, they'd said like, we could tell you were like, not okay, but just be careful. The second time um, they, yeah, they fired me. And still, and still at this point here, nobody, n- nobody in my life was like, this isn't this, you have a, like, there is an issue the doctor did. I went back to the doctor and I was like, this, this thing keeps happening to me where I keep getting drunk. And he said to me like, all right, so here's this challenge. You have to stop drinking for three weeks. If you can make it, if you can't make it, you have to come back and we have to have a different conversation like about alcoholism and, and, uh, what to do. And I guess if you can make it, then, you know, I was going to Philadelphia to see my family in three weeks. He's like, then I have a good vacation. Well, if somebody says you have to stay sober for three weeks, you just don't drink for three weeks. And that's it. It wasn't a challenge to, I mean, of course, any dry period is you you kind of white knuck. You're just white knuckling it through. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you can do it. And then so top- in, in his eyes, if you could manage three weeks um, without a drink, you were fine. Yeah. And then here also yeah. the protocol is, is that um, if you're trying to stop drinking, they automatically prescribe you Xanax. So, I mean, I was just, I just floated my way through the, the three weeks. And so I guess in, to a certain extent, I slipped under the radar again. Um, I worked my way off the antidepressants and then things just carried on as, as, as they were. Living in France is really, really complicated um, if, if, you, if you have a drinking problem. Yeah, yeah. I know what you mean. They, um, you're either a real hardcore alcoholic or you're fine. That They don't seem to realize that there's yeah, millions there's no of us in between ground. those two extremes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so when I'm asked here now these days, when, if they ask me like, oh, would you consider yourself uh, like an alcoholic? I always ask, well, like, what is an alcoholic? Describe yeah, one yeah. to me. Yeah. And it's always, for French people, it's always the same kind of bum on the street drinking out of a paper bag. It's not a well-dressed, well-made-up professional who is holding down a job and paying their bills. And there's many more of those than the, the bums on the street. <laughs> yeah, 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 of course. But so um, I found this interesting it's a really interesting question if anyone ever asks you if you consider yourself that way to, to ask them what they think an alcoholic yeah. is. Yeah. Um, and I'm I sure most of the answers would be along the lines that you were getting, especially in France. <laughs> There's only one person I think here who said to me, for me, an alcoholic is someone who just like can't control themselves around alcohol. I'm like, yeah. that's a more accurate picture, a more accurate yeah. portrait of what somebody with a drinking problem is. Yeah. So So how did you finally get around to stopping completely? Well, um, so I did dry periods. Like I said, like the doctor ordered one. 
And a few diets that I tried also, I mean, that's one of the first things, if not the first thing that they recommend cutting out, because not only for the calories and the sugar, but well, no, for the calories and the sugar, (laughs) most of them. Um, And I kept doing like different stints like that. Um, But it wasn't until COVID and lockdown that I had my my epiphany, really. Um, my drinking was had like increased and increased throughout the, the past. I've been sober, sober over a year now. So I would say over, over nine years to the point. And I think everybody gets to this point at one moment or another where you've set yourself these boundaries, right? Like we said, oh, no alcohol in the house or uh, no, I don't drink on Sundays. Um, like Sunday lunch is a big thing here where you're with the family. But of course, in France, before you eat, you have to have a few drinks. It's just it's called the aperitif and everybody does it. Well, so, OK, so we'd start with the apéro, and then but I drink wine through lunch and then we'd go to the bar, the local bar after and keep drinking. And so these things that we said we would never do, I started doing the Sunday drinking, the Monday night drinking, um, keeping alcohol in the house. Um, the, it really all kind of came came to a head with um with uh, lockdown because all the bars were closed, so we had to keep we had to keep alcohol in the house. I was working from home. My ex was still working um, because he was considered a necessary a necessary worker. Um, he has an IT shop, and so with everybody working from home, yes, he hit the lottery. That. He was working more than ever. My hours were as I set them. You know, when I turned my computer off at 5, 5.30, 6 o'clock, I just had to take three steps to my box of wine. But then my box of wine that was supposed to be lasting probably, I don't know, a week, two weeks, a box of wine is about four bottles, was lasting a couple, like maybe two, three days. Yeah. Um, and and then, what, about, what about your boyfriend? How was his drinking? Was he keeping up with you or? Um, yeah, but uh, he always always, I would say, exceeded me. (laughs) Um, Even if he decided he wanted a night off, like it's totally, it was totally acceptable for me to just uh, keep drinking uh, while he was watching TV. And I'd be in a different part of the apartment or out on the out on the deck, just chain smoking and, and drinking my wine and just talking to my family and FaceTiming people. And so what real what wound up happening, so I just, even the weekends are just these black holes. Well, especially the weekends, because I would just drink until I passed out. I'd wake up and I'd drink like there was no hour. If it was three o'clock in the morning, then okay, it was three o'clock in the morning. Um, and it was at the release of the first lockdown, I went to see a friend of mine. Um, we went out for a cup of coffee and she was like one of my best drinking buddies. And I was like lamenting the fact that, you know, I was drinking too much and we same conversation we'd had hundreds of times, except for this time she recommended a couple books. She was like, check out Annie Grace, This Naked Mind, and William Porter, Alcohol Explained. Um, they've helped me with a couple dry Januaries. Maybe they'll help you. I read Alcohol Explained and that it just, everything clicked. Annie Grace's was good too, but something in Alcohol Explained, like I just had this, um, this like spark. I just, I don't know how else to explain it. Just this like fire in me. And I just knew that I was done drinking. It just, I just knew it. Wow. So you, Mm. I think, you know, maybe you understood the science of it all for the first time because William's books are quite sciencey, aren't they? 
science. Yeah, they are sciency. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I had all of these pieces of my drinking problem floating around, but like couldn't understand like why I wasn't sleeping well. And I couldn't understand why I was always so anxious and why I couldn't get myself to to just do more than one errand a day, for example. Like if I had to go to the post office and the bank, oh my God, if I had to do two things in a day, that was like a bad day. And I couldn't, I just, none of it made sense to me. And then I read, then reading alcohol explained like, oh my God, it's all, all of it. All of it. All of it was chalked up to alcohol. Now my depression and anxiety is not all all alcohol related. I personally do have um, some other other things going on, but like not as bad as I thought it was. And I like I can totally manage my life. And I had no idea that I was like robbing myself of this. Yeah. It was just something about the I can't I I don't know what it was about this book that just did it for me. Well, thank goodness you found it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> thank goodness my 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 friend recommended it. Because yeah, I don't, yeah. she, you know, we'd had this because she, same thing, same problem is that she also had issues at work where she didn't show up. Like, so we'd had this conversation and I've, I've known her for eight years. We've had this conversation multiple times. I don't know what about it. This time she recommended these books, yeah. but it was what I needed and it exactly at the moment that I needed it. And now, and I've just discovered like the, the sober world and I've met <laughs> wonderful people and there's this whole counterculture of, of awesome things happening that I had no idea about. Yeah, it's like we're all sheep, aren't we? And when we're drinking, we just do what everybody else does and we, we don't, you know, make the most of our, our time and our lives and our energy. Yeah. So well, so you read something... you read the book and you literally you put the book down, you put your drink down and that was it? Was it as easy yeah. as that? It was. And so I like say like, oh, I have I had this spontaneous sobriety. But if I look back over my drinking career, it wasn't spontaneous in the sense of it was the first and only time there was a lot of suffering and a lot of of self-hatred and self-questioning and feeling just inadequate. And why couldn't I do it? And what was wrong with me? There was a yeah. years and years of that that yeah. went into it. And a lot of scary moments. What I want to say is like, there was something in your story when you were sharing it with William that really spoke to me about you were visiting the, some houses that you really thought were beautiful. And you said to your friends, oh, let's visit them. And they're like, we went yesterday. Like I was having this where- A black my, hole, yeah. Where even when I really wasn't drinking or drunk, my memory was just going. And yeah. it, it's it's really scary. It's it really scary. scary. Yeah. Especially because uh, my friends told me um, that I looked okay. You know, I wasn't stumbling and I wasn't mm -hmm. slurring my words. I just looked completely normal. So it's like, who was this person? Yeah. No, for sure. It wasn't me. Yeah. So there's like... There was a lot that went into this quote spontaneous sobriety. So and a lot of and a lot of a lot of attempts where I said to myself, like, okay, I never said I'm gonna quit drinking, but I always said, like, okay, I'm gonna do, I'm gonna cut back. So I tried the moderation game. Yeah. yeah. And you can white knuckle it for only so long. Yeah. Uh, until you know there's a stressful day or there's a really good day or any other, or it's a Monday, you know, any of the reasons that we find to, to have more than just one, um, or give up or even, even the dry months. Um, I think 
after a couple, after you do one or two dry months, I, I find, I found that they were harder and harder to do. I would give up on them sooner and sooner. There was a, there was a lot that went into, went into it, but it was, it was just different. And I, yeah, I don't know how to explain it other than I just, I just knew. Well, well done you, you know, for for joining up the dots at such a tender age. I don't know how old you are. I'm 34. The the tender age of 33. Yeah, well, that's, um, that's brilliant because no, it, it means that your 32. whole future, can you imagine your future if you'd carried on like that? It would look completely different. Well, I wouldn't have made it, I don't think. Just around the time I stopped drinking, I also stopped working. And so I, before I quit drinking, was worried that I was going to drink away my unemployment. Like yeah. instead of spending that time figuring out what I wanted to do, which is really why I, I chose to stop working, um, that I was going to do, you know, what you do during vacation, except for it was a two-year vacation and not a two-week vacation. Um, you might so, have ended up like the the French uh, stereotype of an alcoholic. I, yeah. Well, <laughs> Losing yeah, everything. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. So Well, well done you for you. Like, getting out of it. I did. I got and, out. Um so just summarize for us, Stacey, what, what are the benefits for you of sobriety? I like the way you said you've discovered sober land, you know, and a whole yeah. sober culture because it is. And and I also love it. And I love the way that, you know, we can meet different generations, different nationalities, but we kind of get each other straight yeah. away, don't we? There's there's yeah. no bullshit. There's no small talk because we've, we've all been in the same place. And I think that's great about the sober community. Well, and I think that we've, also lived probably our most shameful moments and yeah. like oh I might start crying a little bit just because like, I told right. you I was gonna geek out a little bit with you because uh so for, you know I, d- I didn't uh, speak about it but I do a lot of the sobriety stuff now in France like I'm trying to get French people to see that 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 they do have a problem not all of them of course but you know that that there are more of them than they think that that have a problem yeah. and that it's such like a wonderful thing and so i very rarely get to just be myself and be in english about it so yeah um, yeah. yeah but like i think that we've lived some of our most we've done probably the most shameful we've all done the most shameful shit so like maybe you and i haven't done the same shameful stuff but I th- we recognize that. And so I think that there is this no bullshit where it's like, I know, I know. Yeah, and you know, yeah. and you know that I get I, you. you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's like, it, it's really, um, it's really wonderful. It's like, I kind of compare it to like unplugging from the matrix, yeah. but like when they woke up from the matrix, it was like this ugly, gross world, but it's like the opposite with so yeah, yeah. variety, yeah. right? Like yeah. you unplug from this matrix world of drinking and like, oh my God, there's color and there's joy and there's feelings and there's self-discovery and creativity. I actually, what I think that I'm really, um, what I'm learning through sobriety is, is mostly like what, I mean, who I am. Yeah. Apparently I had no idea. Yeah. And, um, my, and the people that I love in my life, like also have had no idea. But there's so many things in sobriety that alcohol takes away. And that's really, that's uh, alcohol took away a lot of um, self reflection. So in sobriety, like I'm learning how to manage my emotions and do a lot of self reflection. Um, I'm exploring. I'm I'm getting to explore talents I didn't know that I yeah. had, yeah. Um, or maybe things that aren't necessarily a talent. But I now I have the ta- like the the capability of like hanging in there and just 
let's try again. Or like, who cares if you fail? And you're just, I'm just having, I'm having fun. And, and I'm experiencing like genuine emotions for the first time in a very long time. I don't have to numb them away anymore. (laughs) Well, even what I thought was experiencing joy when I was drinking is not at all compared to what I feel now. It's a chemical high, that joy, isn't it? I mean, my life used to be big highs and big lows, you know, mm-hmm. but now it's much more level and joyful, yeah. you know, there's, there's just a contentment and joy, joy there. Yeah. But, and there's bad days and, or like, but they're not even bad days, right? Like I used to have bad days and now it's just like, yeah, maybe something annoying happened. Um, and maybe spoiled about 20 minutes, but the bout, but you're fine, actually. And um, I would say that the highs are actually much better and the lows are a lot less low than than when I was drinking. And now I get to like remember all of that. And (laughs) (laughs) And I bet you've got a lot more energy now. I bet you could go to the bank and the post office in one day. (laughs) I might even do three things in one day. (laughs) But so like a lot changed for me. I mean, my, my path like is like unfolding for me as I go, but it's also not this really big source of stress that it was before. Like now I find myself to just be a lot more easygoing about it. Um, so I am trying now to, um, establish something, something to do with sobriety and helping people here, because I find that the English, the English language, like the Anglophone sobriety movement is so different than the French one. The French one, they're really serious and they're really AA focused. um, And you have to go to the hospital and do a detox and you have to have an addictologist. But like, and there's, there's just, I find there's a lot of negativity surrounding it. And instead of where I find in, in the English language ones, there's, it's really joyful. And and people yes, just want to help. Surprise, he's a superpower. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. And so I don't know if it's, I mean, I'm sure it's a cultural thing and French people are, are funny people anyway in that way. Um, <laughs> I know, I'm married to one. <laughs> God bless you. <laughs> um, I w- so I was speaking about my ex. I mean, we were together for um, nine years. And when I got sober, our relationship lasted three months after that. Right. Yeah. Like, and not only because he continued drinking, but it was because like, I started realizing like all of the things that like, just weren't, that I wasn't okay with, that I was just numbing myself out with alcohol. And you're kind of just like, I'll figure it out later, kick the can down the road. Like, oh, we got into a fight, but then neither of us really remember. Um, well, yeah, you just postpone dealing with problems. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I know yeah. Lots of people that have changed their relationships after sobriety, changed their jobs, you know, changed mm-hmm. countries, all sorts of massive changes. Yeah. Well, suddenly because suddenly they're in touch with what they what they really want. That's a really good way to put it. I'm like, I feel in touch. Yeah. And then so you've got you've got the side of being in touch with yourself and having the resilience and and feeling this power to be able to make those changes that are these big, huge changes. And that seems so impossible, like even just going to the post office, (laughs) but then you're like, well, I've been unhappy for years, but I don't know how to get an apartment. I don't know this. I don't know that. And then when you're just like, well, I'm, 
I'm pretty cool and I can do anything. And so I'll get an apartment and I'll ask the questions if I have to ask the questions and I'll ask for help if I need help. And and it just all of a sudden, even the big things don't really seem that big. You're listening to a podcast from Tribe Sober. If you'd like to join our warm and welcoming community, just head on over to tribesober.com and hit the membership tab. That's www.tribesober.com. So talk to me a bit about how you're getting um, the word out in France, because did I see that um, there's a translation now of William's website? Did you do that? Um, Well, so I'm actually pretty terrible at French. Um, I can speak French. (laughs) No, you're not. I've heard you. (laughs) Well, um, my, my level of French, I would say... I'm I'm okay speaking to people that I'm friends with, but um, translation is a definitely a different issue. Writing in French is a different issue. Let me back up about with William. So I actually reached out to him very shortly after reading Alcohol Explained, and I wrote to him just just to say thank you, because um, uh, he was like, "For what?" I'm like, "For for your book, you weirdo! Like this this amazing." piece of literature that, you know, that saved my life in multiple ways, not only from a health, like physical, like alcohol perspective, but like career relationship. I was in a bad way and I had no idea how bad I was until like now when I look back. So, you know, we wound up chatting a little bit over Messenger, you know, and he asked me about myself and I told him I'm American living in France. And and so he reached out to me shortly after that to ask him, uh, he asked me um, to tell him what one of the reviews said on Amazon about the French translation. So I told him uh, that the review was that the translation was really bad of the book. And so I offered to help him get in touch with uh, somebody I trusted for a translation, like to re- to do a reread of the book. Um, and then that kind of grew into, well... I think French people like need to know that this exists. So like, I would love to just like bring this to France. Like if you don't mind me kind of establishing a French alcohol explained over here. Yeah. He was like, go for it. I don't speak French. So, you know, and I, and he was like, so I don't know if devastated, devastated is the word, but really annoyed for sure that the French translation was, was so bad. Um, And he's like, so are you running a group? You know, I mean, his group, the English group is absolutely amazing. You know, it's so engaged and so big. It's it's fabulous. So are you running something like that for French people? So, well, so... uh to go back to your question about the the website, so then so then naturally I'm like, well, if I'm going to start doing it here in France, like I'm going to need the website translated. So we got um, a translator to to do the website, who's actually my translation teacher at the university here, um, and we've translated a couple of his articles. Um, and so I've taken it a step further. So on social media, so I've got the Instagram account. Um, there's the Facebook group. So the French version is Alcool Expliqué. I'm not really having any engagement with it, like the way that it is. I mean, we don't have the same numbers, of course, no, either. No. So, well, well, you won't. I mean, it took yeah. him a while to grow that, no doubt. But yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think the Facebook, the English Facebook group's been open for six or seven years, and there's over fifteen thousand. When I joined last year, there was thirteen thousand, um, and now there's pushing sixteen thousand. So, I mean, it's just, and I'm an admin in that group, so I can see like the number of members per day. And in the French group, I think we're only a few. 
a few hundred. Um, but and and the, but I think the sobriety movement here in France, like as I was saying, it was it's it's in its infancy. I think. Of course, of course. There, there was a book, wasn't there, written by two ladies? Have you mm-hmm. found that one? Yeah. Yeah. You so made contact with them. I have, yeah. So there's um, there's a book by a woman named Laurence Cote. Um, right. Yeah, she's quite, she's really big in the, in the sobriety movement here. And then there's Claire Touzard as well, um, who wrote a book about how being sober is like this like subversive movement, and like it's just so weird. Like you're as you're this pariah in France if you say that you don't drink. It's like really counterculture, especially here. Um, so you have to really be a rebel, don't you? Yeah, yeah, but I'm a rebel with a cause. Exactly. Um, actually, um, I'm going to be in a documentary that's going to be on France 2. So oh. that's like a, the BBC too, maybe of yeah, France. Yeah. I don't know. Fantastic. Uh, yeah, about women and alcoholism because Great. so, yeah. yeah I mean, so, it really needs to be discussed there. I, I have seen a couple of chat shows about women and alcoholism, but, mm. you know, only a couple in years, you know, of, of yeah. watching well, French so, yeah, TV. Like there's so, like levels, right? So, so there's, yeah, yeah. Um, so, okay, so admitting you're, you have a drinking problem is like already a thing, right? And then being a woman. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. And then on top of that, I'm, on the younger side of of things um so i'm like a triple threat for <laughs> anyone trying to make it to, they were the the director was so so excited because she was like you know we can only it like yeah we can find a bunch of older men but like I think, you know, people will come out, you know, and I was, um, there was nothing really going on here in South Africa apart from AA when I started mm-hmm. Tribe Sober seven years ago, six years ago. Congratulations. And it took ages, you know, and yeah. our, our Facebook group, you know, well, it's still a bit dead, to be honest. That's why I like to hang out on Williams. <laughs> it's so live. Come on in. But, you know, it took time, you know, it yeah. took me a long time, but I got quite a lot of media, which was great because in South Africa, it's uh, it's it was unheard of, you know, not to drink. So they were all really intrigued by me. You're doing in France what I tried to, you know, what I've tried to do here, and, and it is growing. And people, you know, reach out to you all the time, and uh, yeah, I'm, well, I'm sure you'll get there. I'm and there must be so many French people that that need it because there's there's this kind of myth, isn't there? I think you know we it's an international reputation that. French people, maybe Italians as well, that, oh, they're very sensible with their, their drinking, you know, they'll just have a glass of good wine with their food and they, they never get they wasted don't. like English people do, but I'm, I'm not so sure. <laughs> no, I think that that's a load of hooey, to be honest yeah. with you. No, French people definitely get drunk. They are not reasonable with their wine. They just don't look at it in the same way. They They'll just either not say anything because everybody's in the same state or the the, uh, one thing I always thought was so funny was I would get so drunk and the most my like in-laws would say to me, be like, Hmm, you were very tired last night at dinner. I was tired. (laughs) Right. Like, and so I started to say to people as a joke, like, no, I was really drunk. 
there's a difference go, between moving surely not <laughs> like yeah we know but we just say you were tired yeah. so what, what I'm, I'm sure in, that- in France you know like like most other countries there's lots of successful career women you know that are holding down families and important mm-hmm. jobs sure. and they're, they're self-medicating their anxiety and their stress with, with wine you know a bottle a night that seems well, so- to be pretty average for people I work with when going out here um, after work uh, for a few a few drinks, yeah, and it's not even you know ha- happy hour is not really a thing. Um, it's just they just go out and they don't really have any qualms about it. I don't want to like like talk too much about Lance Cote's story, but I read that she she was this like big CEO. I don't know of what company, and like her moment her like big fall was uh, she got super drunk at some CEO conference. There was like four, like in front of like four or 500 people. I think she like f- passed out on stage oh, or wow. some, some like giant story. So like even like the CEO of this yeah, yeah. giant company yeah, who's yeah. now like transformed her career into, into the sobriety movement. No, it's exciting. And, and you're, you're right there at um, the heart I'm of hoping, it. Well, I'm hoping to like, so it, I'm hoping that we're, we're going to catch the wave, like as it comes, like I'm hoping to like get out the French alcohol explained, like well-established when the sobriety movement hits. Yeah. yeah. Um, And so that way it'll already be grounded as this, this thing that's already helped people. And I think that I can really bring something to the French table, <laughs> to the tub, because as a, <laughs> As an as a North American, um, we have a definitely like a different a different look on self help, and um, definitely a lot friendlier to to strangers. So, um, I feel com- like compared to French people, I'm usually smiling and and pretty open in a way that they're not. So I'm hoping yeah. that 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 people will be able to approach me. And so hopefully I'm hoping that women will see this documentary and feel comfortable, like knowing that it doesn't have to be AA. So Stacey, if someone's listening to us kind of chunter on about sobriety and how wonderful (laughs) it is, and they're still, you know, really in the middle of their drinking and they're feeling a pretty low they know they've got to change it but they just Mm -hmm. don't know how to start what would you say to them to encourage them and and where do you start be sober curious right like um I was I just felt like I was flying in the dark about it but like start just start somewhere like it can feel like this big this big huge thing to take on but just start, yeah, start reading about it, start listening about it. Just kind of wake up and start looking around you. Start noticing how alcohol is represented in all the media that we consume. Just, yeah, that's what I would say. And then also yeah. read Alcohol Explained because, I mean, course, it's a great book. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and it's really helpful. Um, and we're working on an online course at the moment, actually, William Happy and I, in English. Thank you, Stacy. That was fascinating. I'll be watching with interest as you go about lifting the stigma on excessive drinking in France, which will then enable people to ditch the shame and get some help. Let's highlight some points from that conversation. Now, Stacey is only 34 years old, so her drinking career was not that long, but boy, was it intense. She grew up in the US where the legal drinking age is 21, so when she left the US to spend a semester of her university course in France, 
she found herself with unlimited access to booze. Stacy began drinking with great enthusiasm, no doubt heady with the combination of leaving home in the US and being free to drink as much as she wanted. As she explained, drinking was certainly normalised in her college crowd, but she does accept that she was one of the heavier drinkers. And as her contemporaries graduated and transitioned into grown-up life, many of them began to drink less, but not Stacy. And that's when she realised she'd become dependent. And that's what happens to many of us. We don't even realise the extent of our dependency until we try to cut down. Alcohol is so insidious and we need to watch out for red flags. If you're not sure what we mean by a red flag then you need to get a copy of our PDF called 30 Signs You May Have a Problem with Alcohol. Just email janet at tribesober.com and I'll send you a copy. Now back to Stacy, who eventually got a job as a part-time teacher in France. Now that left her with plenty of free time for drinking. And indeed her drinking ramped up and she found herself setting and breaking those rules around her drinking that we all make. She also used to Google, am I an alcoholic? Although, of course, she knew the answer. Her drinking sent her anxiety levels sky high until one day she actually had a meltdown. Her doctor put her on antidepressants, but of course they made no difference at all because she was still drinking. Like many of us, Stacy had no off switch and she would drink until she blacked out. One day she turned up for her waitressing job, blackout drunk, and unsurprisingly she got fired on the spot. She went to her doctor, who told her that she must take a three-week break from alcohol, and if she could do that, she was okay. So she white-knuckled her three weeks with the help of some Xanax which her doctor had given her. Then she went straight back to drinking. She explained that having a drinking problem in France is complicated. You're either an alcoholic or you're fine. A well-dressed professional woman did not meet the stereotype of an alcoholic. Looking back on her drinking, she realised it just got worse and worse over a period of nine years. And that's the thing with alcohol dependence. Once you've crossed the line with your drinking, it'll never get better. It's a bit like being in an elevator and the only way it goes is down. And that's why moderation is just not an option for many of us. We just have to ditch the stuff and learn to enjoy our alcohol-free lives. I think Stacy was waiting for a sign. She was waiting for a rock bottom. And it came. It came during lockdown. The bars were closed and she was working from home. So she stocked up on wine boxes and got stuck in. Her weekends became a black hole of drinking and blacking out. But one day she was having coffee with a friend who recommended a couple of books. The books happened to be Alcohol Explained and Naked Mind. She read Alcohol Explained by William Porter and it literally changed everything. Something clicked for Stacy, and she just knew she was done with drinking. Everything fell into place for her. She began to join the dots and realise that her sleeping problems, her anxiety levels and her chronic lack of energy were all linked to her heavy drinking. Education is key to this journey. Once we realise the extent of the damage our drinking is doing, we feel less and less inclined to drink. 
When people join Tribe Sober, we urge them to visit our Amazon bookstore on the website and get stuck into the quitlet, including Alcohol Explained, of course. Reading Quitlet and listening to podcasts is a real education. Reading Quitlet and listening to podcasts is a real education because many people have no idea of just how much harm alcohol does. They have no idea that alcohol is linked to seven different types of cancer and more than 60 diseases. And even if alcohol doesn't destroy our health, it will certainly prevent us from reaching our potential. When Stacy got sober, she finally got in touch with her emotions and she realized that her nine-year relationship with her partner was no longer right for her, so she ended it. We find that often happens in our community. Once people get sober, it's as if the mist has cleared and they can see what they really want. They change jobs, they change homes, they change partners. I'm sure my colleague here at Tribe Sober, Sue, wouldn't mind me saying that sobriety gave her the courage to get divorced in her early 60s and she's never looked back. When Stacy looks back, she realizes that she came very close to losing everything. At the time that she decided to stop drinking, she was no longer working, so she would have been able to drink all day long, every day. She had a very narrow escape. Thank goodness she had coffee with that friend. Like many of us, Stacy was blown away by the warmth and connection within the recovery community and the existence of what she calls Soberland. As she says, when we unplug from the matrix of drinking, we discover joy and colour and get a chance to discover who we really are. And these days, Stacy is on a mission to help French people to get sober. Currently, sobriety has a very negative association in France, and AA is seen as their only route. Stacy has been collaborating with William Porter to launch Alcohol Explained in France, and Stacy now has her own Instagram group called Alcohol Explique. If you're French or living in France, please follow her group and participate. There are signs that things are changing in France, but the sobriety movement is very much in its infancy. There have been a couple of books written by high-powered women who've overcome their drinking problem and actually gone public. And Stacy herself has featured in a documentary about women and drinking. So I must end this podcast by giving a huge shout out to William Porter. Not only does he hold down a full-time day job as a lawyer, but he's managed to write two books, Alcohol Explained 1 and 2, start up a hugely successful Facebook group called Alcohol Explained. And with Stacy's help, he's now launched his online course, which you can access by going to his website, alcoholexplained.com. Please have a listen to my podcast interview with William Porter, which is one of our most popular ones, Tribe Sober episode 50. And I'll also put a link to our Friday Night Live interview with the show notes. And don't forget to check out Stacy's Instagram group, Alcohol explique if you are French speaking. So let me finish by reading a message from Sean, who was one of our dry January challenges. I did it one month, done and dusted. Been an interesting journey this year. It was different in that I had a team, and I also understand that I can't go back and moderate. So this time I'm pushing for a year. I can't say the F word, the forever word just yet. 
but I think I can give myself a good, solid year to figure this thing out. Well done to all the other challenges, and I'll see the rest of you in the members area. Have a great day. Well done, Shan. We love it when our challenges encourage people to keep their sobriety going. Over and over again, we see people dipping their toes into the waters of sobriety and catching a glimpse of the awesomeness of alcohol-free living, which then encourages them to carry on. So that's it from me. Big thank you to our 120 dry January donors. Earthchild will now be able to sponsor 240 disadvantaged children for a year of yoga and life skills training. Our next challenge will be Sober Spring for the UK and the US. Start date is March the 20th and we've just put it up on the website if you want to read more. Thanks so much for listening. Don't forget to follow us and share the podcast and we'd be so grateful if you'll leave us a review. I'll be back next week. Ditching the drink is like climbing a mountain. It's hard, it takes courage and grit, and an experienced guide. And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've climbed that mountain, and we know the view from the top is amazing. We've used our experience to put together a unique membership program that will support you all the way. We've got challenges, chat rooms, sober buddies, trackers, and milestone awards, and that's just for starters. So head on over to tribesober.com and check out our membership program. It's the essential resource for anyone looking to ditch the drink and change their life.